How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Tom, that was really nice because there was a rhythm to it. You had the background music. Your voice is just wonderful. It's a really interesting uh, week, uh, interesting time. So, Tom, can you please introduce our guests on the Dr. Joe Show? Absolutely. Tonight, Dr. Joe, we are absolutely honored to have on Eli Ehrlich. Eli Ehrlich is an American activist, writer, academic, trans woman, and founder of the organization Trans Student Educational Resources. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, so what is the issue that that has emerged here? So a way that people have really been misapproaching the the trans issues and debates that have been occurring is just trying to find one specific issue that's happening. And in reality, it's a bunch of converging culture war BS that really um, ends up hurting a lot of people. And something I love to emphasize is that this backlash against trans people finally being able to exist out in the open, happy with ourselves, is that it also negatively impacts everyone. And it negatively impacts women, cis women, who are now being policed in the restrooms. It's impacting people who want to access things like birth control or even just minors who want to access medicine, not trans-related. And it is having a really negative impact on our country as a whole. And of course, that's spreading throughout the world now. Trans people right now are just, I mean, hitting us as a wedge issue has been really concerning to so many people in my community. And, and how how do we approach this? I mean, you know, what, what, tell me a bit about your world and, and the work that you're doing and the organization you've created. So when I was 16, I co-founded Trans Student Educational Resources. It's a group dedicated to improving the educational environment for trans students throughout the country. And to this day, it's still the only national organization led by trans youth and the only one focused on trans students. Even during this pandemic, pandemic epidemic of anti-trans violence, we are still fairly isolated and not getting the necessary infrastructure and support that we need. And is, is that a symptom of the whole bias and prejudice? Absolutely. I mean, this current wave of anti-trans hate is completely unprecedented. And it makes sense. I'm almost surprised it didn't happen sooner because um, we are a very small part of the population and slowly growing. And we have never really had many um, institutional or policy-based rights. They've always been very easy to um, demonize. And while there certainly have been backlashes against trans people before, what's happening right now is completely unprecedented. Why now? What's, what's your take on that? 
Well, the primary issue is just that. It's the primary. It's um, Republicans trying to outdo one another to be the most reactionary and bigoted that they can to rally their base. It'll thankfully, hopefully, be toned down quite a bit in the um, in the following months, and hopefully, almost over by 2024. Although I suspect this will last a bit longer than, say, Anita Bryant's Save the Children campaign in the 1970s, which only really lasted a couple years. What we're also seeing is another moral panic with how many young people are opening up about their gender identity. I mean, this really is the first time in history where people in the U.S. can feel safe to transition and actually be open about it. I mean, I came out in 2003 as a girl. I didn't even know what the word trans was and felt just completely isolated. And it was that same experience for so many trans kids when I was growing up. And now we have people that look like us, that sound like us, that have similar experiences. And it's been very impactful in helping more people be true to themselves. And of course, that always comes with backlash. People are very concerned with, um, I mean, voting habits. Queer and trans people are much less likely to vote conservatively. And also with... Um, I mean, maintaining the U.S. population because we're also less likely to have kids. So rather than um, disregarding these sort of concerns, I think it's important we also dive into them and should openly talk about that we have a change in culture and this is probably a good thing. Yeah, I think of, because um, it was made popular, I feel like by John Oliver's segment, but there's a graph showing the progression of left-handedness in children where you got you got whacked on the hand if you were using your left hands that's no good that's that's devil stuff or whatever the hell and you see a massive spike up when left-handedness became more publicly acceptable followed by plateau it was kids just feeling comfortable using their left hand like they're inclined to it's really that simple but people aren't willing to accept that because of how much demonization we're facing right now. I mean, if you had no idea what the trans community was and you heard that a group of adults or surgeons were mutilating children for profit, that would be concerning. I mean, I would be concerned about it, certainly. And it makes sense. But I mean, doing the bare minimum of research, um, of course, this isn't true whatsoever. Um, but bare people aren't minimum. willing to <laughs> Yeah, really. People aren't willing to um, to do that research, to actually look into the issues or listen to trans voices at that. And that brings us to the first topic, which is, so Dr. Joe, we've mentioned the name Matt Walsh, uh, you know, not exactly a friend of the show before. He made a documentary that had a predictable reception uh, about a year ago now, came out called What is a Woman? And it's a very, very cheesily edited, very cheap shot at the trans community saying saying everything you think it would say, uh, interviewing the same way that, you know, they'll they'll edit interviews with, say, college freshmen just to, to make them. And, and the funny thing is, he still looks dumb in the interviews, but it has got a second life now, thanks to Elon Musk, who posted it, made it his pinned post saying every parent should watch this. And we're dealing with the backlash once again. So it's, is this another recreation of just trying to find somebody that we just don't like? Like, you're not part of my group, so I can't trust you. I don't like you. I don't value you. Is that 
Is that what it's felt like for you, Eli, over the years? It's it's complicated because I mean I'm I'm 27 now. I've never seen the um 1970s and 80s backlash to the um like LGB, the gay community um at that time. And so it's something that I've never witnessed before in being trans for almost 20 years now. At the same time, um, there are so many parallels. They are using the same, um, the exact same arguments as they did during the 70s and 80s against, say, gay school teachers or um, gay politicians. They're calling us predators. They're calling us um, groomers and whatever they can hurl at us that will effectively make us look bad because the fact is people well, don't care about facts they're going to listen to people they already agree with and that makes it very difficult to engage in actual discourse i mean matt in particular like he's he's been going after me for i think about seven years now um he has really realize that there's a lot to capitalize on here. Unlike politicians, these pundits have a lot of money to gain when it comes to trans people. I mean, Matt's made millions of dollars off of this film. Daily Wire has paid him handsomely for it. He's getting some interviews and he is getting a lot of recognition. And so it makes sense why he would do this. I always wonder if it really matters that there's no way he believes half the shit that he's saying. I mean, I remember at one point in his documentary, he had a guest on who claimed that um, uh, youth that transition will give $1.2 million to the uh, medical industry, which is uh, just- Are absurd. you telling me that medicine is for profit? <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's your first issue. Not only is the number wrong, like, mo I don't know any trans people who want to pay more for medicine. Like we've been advocating for a better healthcare system for a very long time. Um, and very few people know it as well as a trans community. Um, we need better health care, not just for trans people, but really for everyone. And so the whole thing is just, it's its a joke. And it's very frustrating that, um, I mean, Elon Musk, one of the most well-known, most followed people in the world right now is promoting it. And um, for listeners that might not know, he also has a trans daughter who's completely disowned him. Who... Can't win them all, he says. Yep. It's just, it's its really terrible. I mean, what he did to his daughter. And yeah, I mean, we're talking about you know, trans youth, trans adults, the, the, the whole idea that somehow an entire community of people who want to be who they are, are once again being told that you cannot. And there's there's some laws that may be influencing this. Eli, can you talk a bit about that? What's happening? So right now, about 23 states have passed laws against um, trans health care in some way or another. Several also are targeting trans sports, too. This is just really playing the political football. They do not care about this topic whatsoever. Well, the politicians don't, but they know it'll rally their bases. And so they're using us as this um, wedge issue to really try to gain support from their voters based entirely on misinformation. So what are some of the, the healthcare issues that are trying to be blocked now? So the most common one is banning transition care for youth and sometimes also adults. 
they, um, I mean, frankly, it's almost difficult to talk about just because of how absurd it is. They are banning um, basic medication that's been available for around 100 years now and calling it experimental. They are ban banning um, um, puberty blockers for um, trans youth, which have also been used for about 50 years. And they're claiming it's experimental treatment or um, um, dangerous in some way. And a few things I like to point out are that every major medical organization agrees that healthcare, including for trans youth, is medically necessary and improves our well-being. And also that none of this is new. Um, youth have been transitioning for, I mean, medically transitioning for um, about 100 years. And I got to point out, like, it it's not, you just go to the doctor and say, I'm trans, and then it's straight to bottom surgery. That's not what happens. <laughs> because when people say mutilation and sterilization, like when Elon's talking about sterilizing autistic kids, he's thinking that, like, seven-year-olds are going to get bottom surgery, which, one, is expensive, and two, no, they're not. They're, <laughs> they're The parents are letting their hair grow out and play with Barbies. But is that one of the, the issues is the age at which a person identifies as one way or the other? I mean, is that part of what people are, are, are concerned about? This is a big part of the misinformation that people are claiming seven-year-olds are getting surgeries, which is just completely absurd. There's, um, sure, occasionally, I mean, I was a minor when I had surgery, Um I was um I was 17 though. Like we're not talking about children here. We're talking about um we're talking about young adults. And um they are pushing this really ridiculous unscientific narrative that is ultimately making it more difficult to get necessary medicine in our community. And I mean I I'm curious from your own your own world. How old were you when you began to just realize that you you weren't like sort of how would I even how would I even describe it that that you were being asked to to follow a certain path of gender and it just didn't make you feel right. I mean how what was the experience I mean I think that's a really great question because I like personally I don't really know how I knew something I like to point out is that I had zero outside influence never saw a trans person before didn't even know the word transgender um I was eight years old thought it was the only person in the world like this um and you hear that story quite a lot from people who transitioned before the 2010s or so and I mean, being eight years old, I had no idea that I actually had options and I could express myself. So I um, I realized I wanted to medically transition um, a few years later when I learned that was possible. And um, eventually my parents came around when I was 13 after rejecting my identity for five years. Let me say it was it was very difficult to get them in that direction literally everyone in my life was against me and I had to advocate for myself as so many trans youth do today and nobody should have to do that you shouldn't have to be going through third or fourth grade and having to um like advocate for your gender identity to your peers or adults that's just something that no child should have to do for themselves they should have these support systems that are currently being dismantled and why did it 
freak people out so much? I mean, why didn't your parents just immediately? I'm not, I'm not parent bashing here, but I mean, really. But, but why? What's your take on this? Why are people so like freaked out by this? Well, there's a few different reasons. There's that disinformation that we were talking about. There's the um, various forms of um, uh, medical misinformation that is being circulated, that it's just a response to autistic children or it's sterilizing or it, um, I mean, I have seen white supremacists claim that it's, um, devolving or um, reducing the white race. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there there is this like white supremacist and racialized component to it too. Um, so there's a huge confluence of different issues, many of them related to um, queer issues that are really surrounding trans people and particularly trans youth right now. But the idea that especially the idea that we're like, oh, teachers and counselors are being forced to use the correct pronoun. First off, so, so one complaint in documentaries, like what, does everyone get their own pronoun now? I'm like, son <laughs> of a bitch, everyone gets their own nouns. They're called names. If I ask, say my name's Tom, am I forcing you to use my name? Or is it just polite? It's just being a decent human being to use the person's given name or the name they choose for themselves it's not that hard yeah it's a lot of it boils down to basic respect uh, yes and i mean do you think people are afraid like like it's just like it feels wrong misinformation absolutely contributes to this but i think you know some people might think wait a sec it's boys and girls, male and female, and that's what you're born with. So where's, where's, the, where's the problem? And yet it's, it, human beings are, are not, not that easy to figure out. So do you think that's part of it? Is it just a, sort of, some people just go, wait, this, this doesn't feel natural. Definitely. I mean, we are taught from a young age that um, natural is better in, um, I mean, many cultures. I won't say all of them. And I think that does contribute to it, too. It's a huge number of different ideologies that are coming together to target trans people. I mean, we have the religious right um, teaming up with um, like new atheists against trans people. We have um, politicians from very wealthy backgrounds partnering with um, local um, small churches and um, hate groups. So it's it's bringing a lot of right-wing communities together. And it's amazing <laughs> how recent the flare-up is relatively. Like, because, I mean, obviously it was always going on, but to this intensity, like you remember a, a few years ago, in the 2016 election, Trump stood there with the LGBT for Trump. Like, I mean, he was kind of using it against Muslims, but it it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a third rail the way it is now. Well, I mean, it's it's very nice of you to to help all these diverse communities come together. Eli, I appreciate that. I'm being very silly and facetious, but once again, it it 
and the reason why we want this here on the Dr. Joe show is the Dr. Joe show is all about respect and value and, and wondering, you know, who we are, why we do what we do without any judgment, but just, you know, who, who are we? And unfortunately, human beings have a propensity to rally around a common enemy. And I just, I just don't understand why a trans community would suddenly appear as a common enemy. Am I way off base on this, Eli? I, I think you're right here. And I mean, part of this reason, which I mentioned earlier, is that we only make up a tiny portion of the population, three times as likely to live in poverty. There are barely any trans politicians or people in power. So we're, we're actually a very easy community to target. And with the um, US right and churches losing so much power right now, it only makes sense. Um, sometimes I wonder why this didn't happen sooner. Dave Anthony, who, uh, you know, the shout out just yesterday was at one of the big protests in Glendale, California, where uh, out of town Proud Boys, NSC, Patriot Fronts, the usual, started assaulting parents who were in support of the school board adding Pride Month to the school calendar, recognizing Pride Month. That's what that all that was about. And of course, you know, you get the paint that like, oh, the violent Antifa groomers are out there assaulting, you know, children. It, you see the footage for yourself, but you get that spin on it every, every, pretty much everywhere you look on mainstream media, on Twitter. We're really good and we're really gullible when it, the smaller the minority, the easier it is to believe just the most outlandish things about them because the danger is in the apathy because you see people folding, you see corporations folding left, right, and center as if, because they didn't really care that much because what was it other than for marketing? So Target, perfect example, had a selection of merchandise featuring pride art patterns, and it was drawn into a satanic panic kind of thing. Multiple Target stores received bomb threats. People were making videos of themselves harassing Target employees saying, hey, do you groom kids here? Do you groom kids here? Eventually tar Target started pulling the pride section. Oxfam International. They made a post condemning trans-exclusionary radical feminists, as I think you should. They took that post down because they didn't want to seem like they were taking a principled stance or whatever. Just the slightest pressure and people are caving in. Yeah, this, this risk of taking a stance when you are trying to promote or mispromote a product can, can certainly influence our decision making. What we learned in kindergarten probably wasn't the full story. What do you mean, Tom? Well, I remember, you know, we all went to school, I, I assume. And in science, when we learned about biology, you know, there's male and female. There's XX and XY. And that's the end of it, right? Well, I mean, the other week we were talking about Panette squares and how those kind of suck for advanced genetics. Intersex children. Children who uh, uh, can dual wield, who are born with a set of genitals for from each biological sex, or you know, I, I I don't know much about it. Maybe different configurations of it, but the I, the point is, it's not it's not a copy paste situation, and they're born at a same rate as redheads. I I just recently learned. Can you just describe what what interesting is this the same as being a hermaphrodite? Was that 
Another is term that, for it? Is that not? an in vogue word still or not anymore? Um it, it was until maybe thirty or so years ago. Um, but now under the preferred term, which is actually an older term than transgender is. People have been using this the word for over a hundred years. So intersex is uh, Eli, what is intersex? Uh, configuration of um, chromosomes and genitalia that might not fit into this XXXY binary. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean, um, um, and it sometimes it's described as ambiguous genitalia, but there's also plenty of intersex conditions that aren't so ambiguous. Like um, uh, CAH is a very common one affecting, I think, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of what, people. What's the acronym and, CAH? Uh, is, it, is that one? I don't know. Don't put you on the spot. Um, All right, we'll, we'll we'll just keep going. Right. For me, it, it congenital adrenal hyperplasia, but I don't think that's the same. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Yep, very common yeah. condition. Um, and um, typically, this is someone who's born with a vulva and has XY chromosomes. Um, it's not that rare. Um, I know plenty of people who have it, and it's often not tested for. So. Our intersex population is um, actually quite large, and many people never learn throughout their lifetimes. And, and is that something that 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 person hides? Are they ashamed, or well, or, or are they or are they being shamed, or being pushed into this isolation? Well, there are plenty of um, reasons people might hide that they're intersex. I mean, same as trans up until the past few years, and even today. There are a lot more of us out there than um, people give credit for. Um, for things like CAH, there actually wasn't testing for it until they were able to do, um, until they were able to check chromosomes. And so people wouldn't know, they would think there was something um, wrong with their ovaries. And um, very often they might not have ovaries at all. Some have undescended testes, others have um, different configurations of genitalia. And so plenty of intersex conditions weren't even noticed throughout history. It's only until the past few decades, maybe a couple centuries for some conditions that they were recognized. And that's why the whole what is a woman thing is just so insulting. One of the reasons obviously is well, okay, so what if a cis woman gets a hysterectomy or gets female genital mutilation as a child or gets a mastectomy? They can't breastfeed kids. Does that make them not a woman? Exactly. And that's why this rhetoric is really harmful for not just trans people, but also cis women. It devalues the, I mean, nearly half of um, cisgender women can't have children, um, counting people, of course, over 50. Um, and so are they no longer women? I don't know. According to Matt Walsh, they might not be. So it's very frustrating to see this rhetoric that's just so blatantly incorrect take off. And I mean, someone who's also in academia, too, it's um, just infuriating that this sort of blatantly wrong misinformation that actually harms so many people is being um pandered out publicly and viewed and celebrated by millions of folks but you said you're in academia so aren't don't you have all the institutional power <laughs> they talk about they a lot oh that would be lovely <laughs> they do claim that quite a lot i mean i um one of the subjects that i study is the far right 
And there is a massive pivot to populism versus um, traditional um, uh, radical right politics, which basically means there's this accusation that um, there is an elite group controlling the status quo who owns the uh, media and entertainment. Um, it's 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 just it's completely anti-Semitic, and now it's like moved on yeah. to great reading suggestion: Black Shirts and Reds by Michael Parenti. I am a big fan of um, uh, Producers Parasites Patriots' recent book on the new right. I mean, it gets really into the nitty gritty of all of these recent changes. The, um, I mean, this sort of rhetoric is kind of ridiculous. Like, I, I would also say almost everyone in media would say, don't put your hand on a burning fire. It will burn your hand. Um, just something so obvious doesn't mean that the um, firefighters control all of the media and um, and education industries. It just means this is pretty um, self-evident and like just an obvious fact. So it's it's been quite difficult seeing them. This is something that um, I know Matt pivots towards quite a bit. And now um, we're seeing it from major politicians like Ron DeSantis. And um, we're seeing it more from Trump now, even than when he was um, on his 2016 campaign trail. So it's a an interesting rhetorical shift that's unfortunately um, placing the blame of um, racial and economic anxiety onto again, a very small group of people who don't actually have much institutional power. But when people would come to the defense, even if just verbally online, it's seen as though there's some sort of mob at the ready. So like Dave Chappelle, when he made, the, I think it was two Netflix specials so far that really just weren't funny. Like, I think that's... That's the first crime is that they just weren't funny. It was just an airing of grievances about just culture war BS and this aggrievement that he's been canceled when he has several more Netflix deals in the works worth tens of millions of dollars. It's purely social media's existing now is that when someone thinks you're an asshole, it's easier to tell them now. It's easy to learn that people don't like you. There's not some new cancellation gremlin that's been cooked up in a lab that will take away all of your livelihood and assets the second you say something problematic. So when the protests happened outside of Netflix HQ and a lot of, you know, a lot of my old buddies there, Dick Masterson was there uh, saying, you know, we like jokes. It's like, okay. To my knowledge, Dave Chappelle is still a multimillionaire. I think the trans mafia just kind of missed one. I don't know. They took a day off. Yeah, it doesn't sound pretty canceled to me. It's... I mean, it, it is frustrating that um, this sort of pivot has led to terms like canceled or woke um, being reappropriated by the right. And um, I mean, the things like Chappelle, like the people who are in power, who the people who he hangs out with and um, are also multimillionaires, like they don't care what he says. He can um, say the most outrageously misogynistic things, which he has plenty of times. And um, they would celebrate him because that's who he spends time around. And like you said, this is the first time he's actually witnessing like the masses respond to him saying terrible things about trans people. Being a being popular is predicated on being popular. I don't know. 
I mean, I I um I think that's a narrative that we're being told more than anything. Um, because the people who um are able to get the most attention typically have views that are going to align mm. with um certain ideologies that fit narratives that say um Fox News wants to push. Um so I would say it's actually more about power than popularity. Power, mm -hmm. luck, money, um, authority, all of the above. Can I like springboard from that and get back to you, Eli? I mean, what is this like for you to be a spokesperson for, for this important community? How did that evolve? <laughs> Lots of demonizing. I mean, when I was um, 15, I first started getting more involved in the queer and trans communities and I, I lived in a really rural community in the mountains in northern California um it was a like small mountain of a few hundred people and I realized I had to advocate for myself there were no other trans people in the town at least who were out so I um I mean I got started organizing a conference I started TSCR got involved with a bunch of different organizations and went on from there but it's really just these past um past two or three years that I have seen so many trans activists burning out becoming um very targeted by um the far right pundits media politicians and um becoming scapegoated in just really terrible ways I mean I have a comrade in New Zealand who um, poured soup on a um, on a a turf anti-trans leader who um, uh, partners with neo-Nazi groups, Posey Parker, oh. and um, th this woman is a like Ukrainian refugee. She fled from um, Colombia more recently and um, found herself in New Zealand. And now this group is taking her to court for assault and trying to drive her out of the country. Um, and I think that's just one small example. I mean, I've received hundreds, if not thousands of death threats in the past, I don't know, six months alone. Yeah, you've been, uh, you've been also like either sued or you've countersued. I noticed uh, a headline about Blair White. So Dr. Joe, Blair White is sort of the online rights, uh, pick me, the trans friend. So Blair White's a trans woman who is very anti-trans because this is a tale as old as time. And I believe she was one of the ones accusing Eli of distributing drugs. Am I off there? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, broader than that, for some context, um, when law started to become passed across the U.S. banning um, this necessary life-saving medication, I suggested that people share their hormones until it's available again. Um, and um, Matt Walsh quickly picked up on that, um, along with some other pundits. And um, this quickly turned into, I'm um, selling and trafficking castration drugs to children, um, because that's apparently how it snowballs in far-right media. There's a certain irony to it where they are... Um, saying I'm doing this terrible thing that frankly I don't even like have any interest in but because they want their oh so feared big government to step in and control our own medicine um trans people unfortunately do have to share medications and this is happening 
um, only because of this, because our healthcare system isn't going to be resilient to um, far-right attacks. It's unaffordable and it's hard to receive um, necessary healthcare. Resiliency is, is certainly an incredible asset to have. And I think that so many people, so many people have been put in positions where they have to make a choice. They can stay in the shadows um, and watch, or they come forward and say, I think this is wrong, what other people are doing, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to judge you the way you're judging me. So, Eli, I'm just wondering what, again, I come back to it. You, you're, you're putting yourself out there. It's, it says a lot about who you are as a human being. What is this like for you? I mean, now during Pride Week, where, where so many people are worried that they're going to be hurt. It's definitely troubling. I mean, it's, well, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I don't want to admit that sometimes I'm a little nervous because of um, all of the threats against me, against my community, against the people that I care about. But at the same time, I don't want to let bigots know that they have any control over how we feel. And if anything, this will hopefully be a final hurdle for full support um, around the world for trans people. Just seeing how much we've been demonized, unfairly disregarded, and just completely um, fed to the wolves by demagogues. I mean, I, like, a few months ago had the FBI show up at my door because um, Marsha Blackburn reported me to them, um, which is, I mean, ridiculous. Like, nobody should be experiencing that. Um, I, like, I receive swastikas in the mail all the time. I get death threats every single day. And unfortunately, the same is true for a lot of trans activists. But we also have to remind ourselves with the internet, like this is entirely unsubstantial. It's not going to physically impact um, at least people like me who are in very privileged positions. I mean, I'm a white woman who lives in New York still. Like um, I probably wouldn't be doing this if I was in the South. I um, would probably be more focused on moving at this point. In New York. And no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it is, it is definitely difficult, but also with every moment of fear or anxiety, I just remind myself that this is also how other trans people are feeling. This is how our community is, frankly, um, kind of in danger of losing our healthcare basic rights. And that can't happen because if we all stand boldly against it, they can't take anything away from us. I think this is the hardest part about the I am approach because the I am, you know, is saying we're all doing the best we can. We don't have to like it, but we want to understand it. And, and when there's this hate, this venom, this dark side of humanity, it, it is difficult to understand how that could be the best someone can do. 
And, and even that's an I am. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the I am is saying we're at a current maximum potential. We're doing the best we can. But if you don't like it, you can change it. And we're influenced by four domains, our home domain, our social domain. We're talking a lot about that today, about how the social domain is responding and how that then influences our biological domain of our brain and bodies and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because the domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. I'm hoping that tonight's show you know, is one of those small changes. But Eli, I'd like to ask you, given our topic for tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Well, something I love to see is more critical thinking. I know it's very academic, but I'm talking about Target a little bit earlier reminded me that when they removed bathing suits because um, uh, because the right was claiming that they were being sold to children, the, well, some trans people were defending them and saying, um, oh no, they weren't selling them to children, they were adults only. Um, but then that has me thinking, why not sell them to children? Like, um, I could have used that when I was a teenager. That would be great. And so just constantly reevaluating the arguments that are being made, even potentially on your behalf, is just so important to our movement. And um, also just our social lives, our home life, how we interact with other people. Just developing these critical thinking skills is really key to self-actualization and realizing how we can be in the world. And, and critical thinking is actually a function of your prefrontal cortex, your rational brain. And we have evolved that. We have a limbic brain, which I think is really what's stirring up a lot of this, you know, this emotional, irrational, impulsive brain that sees predators where there may be none. Uh, and then we can step back and look again. Well, why is that the best that person can do is see me as a threat? What's happening in there I am? And that, that really gets to the second truth of the I am because everyone has one. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them through their IC domain, how do other people see me, which has an effect on their biological domain. Because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. This means you control no one, but you influence everyone. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. So Eli Ehrlich, what kind of influence do you want to be? Well, I want to show people that fearless interference in the status quo is possible and it can be done um, strategically and effectively um, and we don't need to hide the ways that we are changing things that we can actually be proud of not just shifting one thing say healthcare, trans health care but um, shifting an entire cultural climate how we think about gender, how we think about the relationship between economics and um, young people or, um, or the queer and trans community as a whole. Really being proud of the sort of changes that you can make, even if they're broader than what people may be comfortable with. And is that where the word pride comes from? 
we're talking about Pride Week. Seriously, I mean, uh, it's a powerful word. Well, if you ask anyone, if if you ask anyone on Twitter, it comes directly from Satan. Yeah, because if you look at Pride um, Month, personally, if you if you squish the words together, it it, it part of it says demon. So, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. <laughs> but but it is part of of pride. I mean. Pride is when we recognize the value in ourselves, but also when we recognize the value in our community. And we can have pride in others as well. So we haven't really even spoke about that, but what is the influence of just this word? You know, it's been very complicated in the queer and trans community. First Pride was in 1970 to um, commemorate the year anniversary of the Stonewall riots. And it's always been divisive. Um, some people wanted to um, celebrate the history that we've lived through, the wins that we've had. And other people like myself want to look forward and be proud of what our community can become how we can um, uh, how we can subvert the um, societal norms and create a model for really improving everyone's lives, not just the queer and trans community, but actually improving society as a whole. By embracing each other and by seeing each other for who you are without that judgment. Uh, am I missing something here? <laughs> I mean, there are entire books about pride, so we can go on about this forever. <laughs> I have to have you back to talk about um, it. But, but really, I guess you know, so. the, the I am is saying, let's, let's look at people with respect to respect, again, look at why people do what they do without that judgment. And I think the, we started off talking about trying to understand why there are so many people who are so freaked out by this, you know? And what I want to be sure is that we don't activate our mirror neurons and judge them the way they judge others. I'd rather understand why they're doing that and understand their perspective because then we really can achieve what we're looking for which is to truly respect and embrace each other for who you are, why you do what you do. Is that possible? Is that an influence that we can really have? Because that's the hardest part about the I am. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I do think with time that we can um, help people understand. I mean, something I think about all the time is just the, um, I mean, how difficult the education system was for queer and trans people um, just a few decades ago. I mean, just a few years ago, even. Um, there was no education about our communities, no um, sexual health classes, nothing that could provide this necessary foundation for understanding our communities. Um, I mean, to this day, there are still states that ban um, education about queer and trans issues. And I think once we come out of this current, um, this current moral panic, we're going to be in a different time.
especially with social media and this ability to see other people from around the world, from all these different experiences face to face, I think that's going to have a significant impact on empathizing with others and also working to create a safer and healthier world for everyone. I'm there with you. So, so I so appreciate you giving us the gift of your time tonight. And I, I hope that we get this message out, Tom, to a lot of people. We're going to do that. Thank you so much for being here tonight on the Dr. Thanks Joe Show. Tom, I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.